0: hello welcome to never marry a mitford the podcast about pop culture from the past and historical heroines i'm sarah and i'm amelia and this episode we're going to be talking about the silk hustlers and our historical heroine is carrie fisher Hustlers is a film written and directed by Lorene Scarrafaria based on New York Magazine's 2015 article "The Hustlers at Scores: The Ex-Strippers Who Stole from Mostly Rich Men and Gave to Well Themselves" by Jessica Presler, who used to write the iconic gossip girl recaps in New York Magazine. The film stars Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez as Destiny and Ramona, two strippers who work while working at a club in New York before the 2007 financial crash. J.Lo's Ramona guides Destiny through the world of New York strip clubs, becoming her friend and mentor. When the financial crash occurs, the pair, along with a group including Kiki Palmer's Mercedes and, and Lily Reinhardt's Annabelle, target rich men at bars, drug them and steal from them. The film is framed by Julia Stiles' reporter Elizabeth, who is reporting on the story
1: on the present day, so it flashes back and forward. So, Amelia, what did you think
0: of Hustlers?
1: I thought it was amazing. I didn't really know what to expect or what was going to happen. I knew sort of vaguely what the story was, but I didn't have a clear idea of exactly what the con was what they were doing and I hadn't really fully realized that it was a true story and that it was based on an article so I obviously I found that out once I watched the film but I thought it was really amazing and a very interesting portrayal of what is essentially criminals but well they were criminals but I thought it was very sensitively done and you felt a lot of sympathy for them and I thought that the central friendship between Destiny and Ramona was really fascinating especially the way that they by the end had turned on each other to sort of save well Destiny kind of turns on Ramona to save her own skin a bit and mm. it yeah I thought that was really interesting and I just thought J-Lo was incredible yeah she amazing. was
0: I think as well there's an interesting parallel between how Ramona and Destiny relate to each other obviously the archetype of their relationship is mentor and mentee but also mother and daughter mm-hmm. and both of them have complicated relationships towards motherhood as well so Destiny is a mother and at the end of the film a lot of her motivation to turn against Ramona is to protect her daughter or to provide for her daughter a lot of the motivation for doing the con is to provide for their children and JLo's Ramona is a mother in it as well but also Destiny doesn't have her mother around she was raised by her grandmother so there's a lot of friendship, relationships but also the power that comes of being a mother figure but also being a mother to somebody as well. And I thought the interrogation of that and the motivations behind a lot of their actions was really interesting as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that is a real driving force. It's not conning people for the sake of conning people. There is an element of that that comes with it when they've got the beautiful apartment and the the shoes and the handbags and the clothes and the jewelry. But most of it comes from a drive of getting those things. A, because they're desirable and wonderful, but equally for Destiny, she wants to provide for her grandmother. She wants to make sure that her grandmother's looked after in the same way that her grandmother looked after her. And Ramona's daughter is getting the best education. She's doing incredibly well. And so both of them do this in order to better someone else's life. Obviously, there is an element of self-interest because they end up very rich, both of them, for a long time till they get busted. And that was a different way of looking at it. It's not just a malicious, one-track-minded con of just in a sort of ocean's... 11 type way of just right. we're going to con someone to con someone there's a, a sympathetic reason at the heart of what they're doing.
0: Yeah I found also the nostalgia in the film really
1: interesting so it's
0: based in 2007 and then flashes forward to the present day and the music is so evocative of the time as well like there's a moment where all the girls are in the club and the club is really flowing with champagne and money and I could forgotten in that era the musicians or the artists that were so big like Usher and the songs that were about celebrating wealth were so integral to the soundscape of the time and there's an amazing moment where Usher comes to the club and it's actual real life Usher that is in the club and he walks into his own song Love in This Club and I'd forgotten because that culture because of the financial crash doesn't exist anymore that endless wealth and our belief in endless wealth and endless growth doesn't exist anymore. It was really strange to have a nostalgia for a time that I can completely remember but now feels completely divorced from 2020 Mm. and I also thought that the use of music Gia Tolentino wrote about this in the New York as well, but the use of music in it was just amazing, the moment where the crash happens, they play Gimme More by Britney over the top of these bankers ringing furiously around people and we know as an audience what is happening but I also thought the use of Britney was so fascinating because obviously her Gimme More period was the time where she had very publicly had a breakdown and there's that famous picture of her with the umbrella with a shaved head it was almost like they were using pop culture markers as a way of illustrating the time and it was done so brilliantly through the use of Gimme
1: More happening it's Kind of. I think the music yeah it's completely evocative of the time and it also builds a world in which you think oh you know I would quite like to go to a strip and then you think why would I want to go to a strip club in this day and age like it's not something that actually interests me but the way that the picture is built up it feels very much especially at the age that I was 15, 16 when the well no I was 15 when the crash happened and then 16 in 2008 and so a lot of it it's music that I used to listen to on the way to school like doing homework and stuff and you think about it in a much more like oh you know when I'm a bit older I'll go to all these glamorous clubs and I think it is very nostalgic in that sense and you listen to it and you think oh okay I remember XYZ holiday when I was 15 and like this was the big song at the time and I think you're right it's very world building in the sense of adding glamour and especially at that point when usher comes into the club it's no longer seems like oh it's a sort of like slightly sleazy backroom strip joint it's a sort of premier place that the biggest artists of the day come to and it is all dripping in wealth and i think a lot of the and there's is a bit of flow rider and kesha in there there's all sorts of different things that you know you listen to and you just think oh my god it's like 2007 again
0: yeah um, i also think that the way that they use the music and kind of how that music relates to the clubs. so like Usher's Love in This Club just shows how that the clubs were such a centre of culture and how it spread outwards as well like how they controlled not controlled but how they so deeply influenced the culture like you're saying like we used to listen to those songs in England doing homework and walking to school or at university and stuff but they originate in those New York clubs and how the women that were working in those clubs influenced so much of the culture that was around at the time and kind
1: of doesn't exist anymore yeah and that's you see that very clearly in the film as well and how quickly those clubs go into decline once the crash has happened it's not a sort of gradual thing it's within a few months of the crash happening it's one of the first things to go people stop spending money on that kind of entertainment because it's A, not good to be seen when a, when a, the country is in huge financial decline, splashing money around buying huge bottles of champagne and thousand dollar dances from people. And equally, people just didn't have them, that disposable income anymore to be able to spend it. Bankers no longer had just a thousand dollars lying around that they could spend on a dance or on champagne or whatever. And I think it's really interesting that that music, the way that it works and the way it's woven into the because also, you know full well it's not just been made, like they've been selected because those would have been the songs that were being played in the club at the time they haven't Mm. just been picked because oh I quite like this song or whatever, you know that they were that is an accurate soundtrack Yeah, and I think actually,
0: yeah, and I think actually, what is again really, really interesting is when the crash happens and towards the end of the film, the the song that plays as Ramona is getting rested, as this world really starts to crumble, is Royals by Lord, Mm. which is a real critical song of that culture. There's that line, isn't it, in the song? And we were like, gold chains. I can't remember the lyrics, but like it's uh, it's her criticizing that kind of champagne lifestyle. Yeah, and I think that was a really nice bookend to the film because that is the culture that we still have now like Lord is still an artist which is around who is still making music whose music still seems really contemporary and relevant and Mm -hmm. it was almost like the beginning of this movement of Drake that we have now of like sad indie poppy influenced by the legacy of what came before it, right? and we should also talk about Jennifer Lopez's amazing performance as Ramona. As much as Constance Wu's Destiny is the protagonist of the film, J Lo is the star that comes through it, and and Ramona the character is the star as well.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think she it underpins everything. It's all her idea that this con that they develop, which I still I don't know if I was being thick, but afterwards I was still like I'm not a hundred percent sure how it worked but obviously it did work for a while I think for me the main confusion was how they got the money once it had gone into the club like how did the club anyway we won't discuss why I'm being dim and not understanding how the financials work (laughs) oh no
0: I I had no idea but I was also kind of like well it (laughs) works I mean I
1: guess you have to just suspend disbelief and be like well okay fine I'm not a hundred percent clear on how this exactly is working but it is so fine then yeah I thought she was amazing and the bit where she's sitting on the rooftop right at the beginning in this coat that's a yeah, fur, fur coat country. that just takes up three people's worth of space. And then she wraps Constance Wu up in the coat because she's cold and they've gone outside for a cigarette. is beautiful as an image. It's amazing. And I think what's so interesting about the film as well is that it's not... You don't often see films about highly female groups of criminals. I know we had Ocean's 8, but again, that can be fun ones. It's not anything that you sort of... Although actually there, there was the bling ring as well, I suppose, but wasn't yeah. entirely girls but were mostly driven by girls which actually that took place at a very similar time yeah it did the Sophia Coppola film yeah. starring
0: Emerson which was based on another article in Vanity mm. Fair the suspects Wall of Butons by Nancy Jo Sales, which kind of charted the exploits of these girls and they stole about three million in clothing and jewellery from Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and even saying those names feels really evocative of a certain time in Hollywood and again we crash Hollywood because
1: nowadays I think it wouldn't obviously it would be a big deal if anyone anybody famous house got robbed but if you at that point that was like the biggest people in the world getting robbed Mm. whereas now if you said oh Paris Hilton's house got robbed by a bunch of teenagers you'd kind of think all right whatever because they're not they're no it's no longer that thing of like Paris Hilton was famous because she was rich although I was about to say that and then I just remembered that the Kardashians exist so maybe that's not true but like (laughs) it's you know it, it was it was a huge thing I suppose the equivalent is if Kim well when Kim Kardashian got robbed at gunpoint in Paris it yeah, was a I think, big deal I
0: think that's that is slightly different like I feel like that is a much more violent thing that happened with Kim Kardashian which is obviously very traumatising as well but with the teenage girls stealing they weren't I don't know there was less violence
1: no they like, were just quite opportunistic they just yeah. realised that they could do it So they did do it. And they then got caught because they weren't actually really thinking that strongly. It wasn't a very well thought out crime, particularly. They went into people's houses and nicked their stuff. Yeah, It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an Ocean's 8 style, very elaborate, we've thought of everything type con, which is why they got caught because it was, yeah, it just wasn't very thought through. But going back to J-Lo, I think Ramona is a fascinating character because she's very forthright in how much money she makes. And she's a very aware that her especially at the beginning when she's making the majority of that money through dances the dance sequence that JLo does is absolutely insane yeah the first one where she comes on on the pole is incredible and I know everyone says it but she's 50 and you look Mm. at her and you just think that's madness like that you it's madness that anyone can do that let alone someone who's 50 and look that confident and strong and I know that it's because she's come from a dancing background and that that dance really glamorises the whole thing Mm. and that's one of the points where you think god I would wish I was there and then you take a step back and you think why do you wish you there it's a strip club there's men going there to spend their money on getting dances from girls some of them are quite vulnerable and it's quite a sleazy underworld but the film manages to create this sort of very rose tinted perhaps glamour around that all and JLo's at the centre of all of that
0: well I don't necessarily think it's rose tinted and I don't think
1: the clubs are sleazy
0: at all but I think it's about refocusing our gaze like our gaze for so long has been on watching the girls and Although we are watching J.Lo, we have watched J.Lo as an audience for decades and it doesn't feel as invasive. It feels very much like Ramona and J.Lo hold the power completely and for me that is what the film is about. It's about re-shifting our gaze away from thinking of strip clubs in this quite condescending way into a place that a lot of the women hold quite a lot of power and for me Hustlers is about that it's about refocusing on these women and the power they have and their ability to have agency and their choice to stay in these places and their choices and having empathy with them and understanding what they're doing and why they're making those decisions which is why I think the focus on motherhood and mothers and mentors and friendship is so important and integral to the film because Mm. those are not universal themes they're just completely understandable they're really everyday themes I really disagree with the thesis that J.Lo is glamorising it I think what she's showing is power and I think our reading of Ramona as well is I think it would be naive to think that how we look at Ramona isn't influenced by JLo being such a huge force in pop culture but also her being such a huge force in pop culture pre the crash so her songs were also in there with Usher they were influencing the culture they were coming out of this money champagne lifestyle like Jenny from the block or Love Don't Cost a Thing and, and play and those were there as well and then by putting her in that position I think that's what also makes Ramona such an amazing performance from JLo because she is also grounded in that culture as well
1: I always find it strange though that I was watching the Myra stories last night and Sigourney Weaver's in it and I just suddenly was thinking about when you have famous people cameoing as themselves Against somebody playing a character, and you're like, "What is Mm. it?" Because it creates an alternate universe. So this is a world in which Jennifer Lopez doesn't. She can't exist because she's playing Ramona. So Jennifer Lopez, as a character, as a person, doesn't exist in this world. Even though it's a bit, it's kind of weird. The more you think about that, because the world in which the article was written, Jennifer Lopez, the artist, does exist. Mm. but she can't exist in the world of Hustlers the film mm. it's just quite I don't know it's just quite strange I never really thought about it that way before but it's quite an odd thought that her work wouldn't have like simultaneously does and doesn't exist in this world because her work as Ramona does and what Ramona they're quite sort of stylistically they're quite interlinked in terms of JLo's onstage persona she wore similar sorts of coat that mm. like they're quite linked but there would be no Jennifer Lopez. In the world of the film Hustlers. It's just quite weird. We
0: should also talk about how amazing the secondary characters are in this, which is Kiki Palmer and Lily Reinhart. Um, Kiki Palmer, most famed, not most famed, but incredibly famed for saying sorry to this man.
1: sorry to this man but I don't know him <laughs>
0: which is something I use all the time sorry to this
1: man who was it she said that about wasn't it like Mike Pence or something Oh yeah Mike Pence
0: or like Al Gore or something. I can't it remember. was Al moment...
1: Gore I think it was Al no
0: it was Dick Cheney Dick
1: Cheney <laughs> yeah.
0: and Lily Reinhart um, who is Betty in Riverdale playing Annabelle they are the supporting characters who are involved in the hustle as well and there's so many amazing shots of them walking strutting into Bars to get the men, or like four of them, so Destiny, Ramona, Mercedes and Annabelle. And every time they do it in the film, I was like, oh god, this 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 is just shot with so much power and fun. And I thought Kiki Palmer's Mercedes just was so fun and brought so much like not levity. It was just a fantastic role. And Lily Reinhart and Annabelle as well was really great
1: as well. Yeah, Lily Reinhart's <laughs> she's really she's quite on board but she's very anxious. So she spends a lot of the time having like being anxiety sick like yeah. just like generally losing a nerve a lot of the yeah. about this thing which you know there's always got what they were doing was ri- unbelievably risky and quite scary and there's a point' correct me if I'm misremembering it this where they think they've killed someone yes because yes, they've they over do. drugged him you know so they were they were playing with a lot of risks here because they were drugging these guys with stuff that they didn't know like what they were get what how these guys are going to react because they, they they could very easily have an accidentally ended up with murder on their hands that mm. it could it could have all gone very well. I think in this situation, I hundred percent would have been Annabelle, constantly. Oh my god, absolutely, blanked, absolutely terrified about the whole thing. I think also when we're talking about J Lo as Ramona being the star, she's also
0: the argument for it as well. She argues, you know, these bankers like bankrupted our country and then blamed nurses and doctors and mm-hmm. immigrants for this. So why can't we steal from them? Like it's a she puts forward a really convincing political argument for carrying out what they're doing, and that's why I also really like the film is because the. Fact that's crash affected so many people but you know the fault kind of lies with a group of people who weren't punished and so it was almost like this frontier justice that they were carrying out and when you think about it the the stuff that they got out of these men was so small compared to the billions and trillions mm-hmm. in the economy so i was like always on that side and kind of like yeah go for it like you do this i want to see you do this i really the her so our hero in this episode
1: is carrie She was an American actress, writer and comedian. She's best known for playing the iconic Princess Leia in the Star Wars films, a role for which she was nominated for four Saturn Awards. Alongside her film career, though, she was also a prolific author of both fiction and biography, although even she would argue that sometimes that line got blurred. Her works include Postcards from the Edge, the screenplay of which was BAFTA nominated, Wishful Drinking, Shockaholic and The Princess Diarist. She was also the daughter of Hollywood royalty Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher, much-discussed part of several of her books.
0: So, Amelia, why did we want to pick Carrie Fisher as our heroine this episode?
1: I think because I have recently got into reading a lot of her work. I read Postcards from the Edge, which I think is one of the funniest books I've ever read. It's absolutely brilliant. I think why we've chosen her as our heroine is because she went through a lot of very very dark periods in her life and dealing with a lot of very difficult mental health issues and managed to create a lot of very joyful very funny work out of it and overcome quite a lot of it she got herself clean she went to therapy you know, she managed to broadly overcome the difficulties in her life and also I think the fact that she's no longer here it seems so unfair when you go back and you read all of her work and it's especially something like The Princess Diarist, which she discusses quite a lot in it about what how people will see her once she's died. Mm. And I mean, The Princess Diarist came out and she was, she died on the promo tour for that book. So, you know, it was very close. But she often mentions, when I die, there'll be a picture of Princess Leia with two dates underneath. And that that, hap- that did happen. The Princess Diarist is similar to the Wishful Drinking or Shockaholic in that she's written the narrative and she sort of interjects, but it's mostly her diaries when she was nineteen and filming the first Star Wars. And it was the bombshell dropped that she and Harrison Ford had an affair. It's just heartbreaking and it was heartbreaking for lots of reasons. Primarily heartbreaking because she talks a lot about what she wants to do in the future and and then she died literally a few weeks after it was published in the uk i actually think she had the heart attack that she didn't survive flying from the uk back to la having done all this book promo stuff so she i think she did see it published but not in the vet for a very long time but what is so heartbreaking as well is that reading this diary of a naive 19 year old who is just getting her heart broken by an older man and the, the interesting thing is is that she says at the beginning in her diary she's like well I've come to England to be in this film. I should probably have an affair with someone on set. <laughs> and then she picks Harrison Ford, who had a wife. And then the, the one of the saddest bits for me is that she goes through all this pain with Harrison and he obviously he, he was married and she knew it was never going to be anything, but it was still a passionate, heartbreaking affair. But there's one bit at the end where she says, I should have picked Mark, because yeah. Mark was probably... like The way that she writes it, you can sort of infer that Mark... Was fancied her, and they probably would have made actually quite a sweet couple. And this is Mark Hamill who played yes. Luke Skywalker. And it's really, it is really interesting. It's also a fascinating way of looking at how a the big, well, it wasn't a big film at the time. It was just some sort of like space fairy Kate tale. Puff. Yeah, it wasn't meant ever I don't think it was ever supposed to be as huge as it then has become now and especially because this is the first one they were all just like dithering around in Watford at Neaveston Studios just like yeah this is quite fun there's a guy dressed as a robot
0: yeah with George Lucas who at the time had directed kind of cool indie films like American Graffiti as well Yeah, they weren't expecting it to become this mad blockbuster that it became
1: no and so they were all just having dinners in London and being fairly casual and they weren't mega 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 famous I think Harrison Ford was well known but Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher were barely known at all and there The Princess Diaries is fascinating I recommend it it's really funny and but it is so so interesting about how you make a film and watching this heartbreaking teenage romance just appear and then disappear because Harrison Ford himself doesn't actually feature that highly she doesn't write about them that much she writes about how difficult he is to get through to yeah and how he's quite taciturn and quite doesn't give a lot away which i'm not surprised <laughs> <laughs> when you know like have you seen anything that harrison ford ever does he's
0: essentially han solo yeah
1: he is he just doesn't speak um yeah it's it's really interesting and this nostalgia as well about star wars and her life and star wars her life like, Pre and Post Star Wars. It's beautiful. It's a really good book. Yeah. And I think why she's our heroine is because she tried really hard to get away from only being Princess Leia as well. That she sort of did all this other uh, in- she's an incredible fiction writer. She writes her autobiographies really brilliantly as well. And I think that's not always a part of her that people see. If you say Carrie Fisher, everybody just thinks Princess Leia. But
0: I think equally she really loved being that princess and like loved being Princess Leia and never didn't try in the sense of running away from it, she really embraced it, but also was someone else and was really clear about those two distinctions. As well.
1: Yeah, very, very clear. And I think you just have to look at her Twitter. She made all these really funny jokes about it where and she knows obviously that everyone is always, always going to see her as Princess Leia. There is a bit in Shockaholic which is her autobiography where she writes about the electric shock therapy that she went through to help with her bipolar. And she talks so much about how the electric shock therapy gives her really terrible memory loss, so she forgets great chunks of her life. But the one bit that she can always remember is that R2-D2 hologram speech from Star Wars. <laughs> she's like, why the fuck can I always just remember that bit and yet I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday? Like, oh. <laughs> And she's like, that will be in my head forever. And I think... Her books are hysterically funny, Postcards from the Edge is great, it's got possibly one of my favourite lines ever in it, which is, I can't remember the exact context that the line happens in, but she's talking about weight gain, she says, oh yeah, no, I'm retaining water for Whitney Houston, and that just made me laugh so much, I thought that's really, really funny and clever, and it's just really, like, off the cuff amusing, that's why she's a heroine, is because she manages to take really painful issues and teach and inform people about them and her own life experience, because a lot of her her autobiographies feels very much like she wants to inform the people who are reading them about what she went through, what it means in quite plain terms. Like, yeah. look, this is what electric shock therapy does to you. Makes you forget stuff. It's not it made me better. It helped, and I'm no longer addicted to pills. But there are several years where I just don't remember anything, and that's a big sacrifice for someone, to, for anybody, to make in order to get better. And to and she often talked about getting better for her daughter as well, Billy Lord, who we've talked about in in our Cameron Post episode where we talked a bit about Booksmart. Billy's also an actress. You can tell that a lot of the there's a lot of pain there, and a lot of mm. grappling with big issues, but it's done in a way that makes people understand what she's gone through, but. And empathize because she managed to tell it so wittily and humorously.
0: I think also her, so we're kind of talking about her more as a writer than an actor at this point. Mm. And I think also something that goes a little bit unacknowledged is that she was a script doctor for a lot of Hollywood films. She's uncredited for rewriting a lot of Julia Roberts's dialogue in Hook. Julia Roberts played Tinkerbell, and that kind of launched her into doing these writing gigs as well. So she also there's lots of things about her saying that she rewrote a lot of Princess Leia's dialogue in the Star Wars films as well and I think J.J. Abrams has talked about when he was doing promo The Rise of Skywalker talking about how Carrie Fisher would speak to him about oh well let's just tweak that let's just reword this about how Princess Leia should speak because she embodied that character but also she was a really great writer of people and of dialogue and I think that is another really interesting unsung part of her career as well I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about when Harry met Sally and how odd it is as a, as a child or when you first see that film of seeing this actor, because Carrie Fisher plays Meg Ryan's best friend in it, and you're kind of like oh who's that and it's Carrie Fisher and you're like oh wow and when she's given the dialogue written by Nora Ephron it just works and watching her as an actor work with other women is so brilliant as well watching her move away from Princess Layer into different roles and almost just open up in in a different way Mm. and you see it in Catastrophe obviously written by Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney how other feminist writers can take her as an
1: actor and use her in such amazing ways as well. Yeah she's so good in When Harry Met Sally. I didn't Mm. know she was in it and I only watched it very recently but yeah I was like oh my god it's Carrie Fisher and she's so funny in it and mm. I think it is hard to detach her from Princess Leia because that is the image that you see of her first and foremost and she always she talks a lot in her books as well about the image being that fucking gold bikini she yeah. says that quite a lot but I think she was so suited to that kind of role as well mm. because she inhabits that those not I'm not detracting from it but in a kind that of, she inhabits those rom-com roles really well because her own writing is similar to to that.
0: Yes, yes, the levity that's in her mm. writing. And I think working with somebody like Nora Ephron who really values women's experiences and really goes deep into the domestic experiences of women or the everyday experiences of women and treats them as worthy of putting on screen, which of course they are, and makes entire films out of them. And I think when Harry Met Sally is a perfect example because the driving plot behind that film is not the characters doing bad things or doing things which aren't right. It's time and it's people growing up. And in that way the drive of the film is quite gender I think it would be really- remiss for us to talk about Carrie Fisher as a heroine and not talk about Princess Leia. I think it's been covered innumerable times how much of an influence she had and continues to have on teenage girls growing up, watching a girl girl who is a princess breaking the mould of what a princess should be. She's not there to be rescued, which she says very explicitly to Luke Skywalker in the first film. But maybe we should talk about what it means for her last role to have been the last Jedi, and in Rise of Skywalker, but also her coming back as Princess Leia and what that meant, or what that meant for us as a film audience and as people who know her work and her writing. And to watch Princess Leia in a position of power, she's no longer princess, she's general. She's a leader of this rebellion. She is the strategist. She's the one in charge. She's very. She wields power very well, but she also is a mother to the film's villain or anti-hero, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, played by Adam Driver. But she is also... A mentor to Ray, who's the heroine of the film, and what we think that means for her legacy, essentially, or what what does that mean for us?
1: I think, well, in terms of generic sort of Princess Leia legacy, there's no surprise that when the first women's marches happened, and in fact all the subsequent ones, there were a thousand placards that had Princess Leia mm. as the sort of resistance fighter, as the like the primary image. And she became, she very much became a symbol of resistance and hope and female anger as well. Like, there is a reason why she was one of the most prevalent images that at any of those marches. If you look at the pictures now, you'll see there's just swathes and swathes of her image everywhere. Which I think is and an, something that Carrie Fisher, I think, would really have appreciated. And I think was a really amazing legacy to have. Well, I think the problem with The Rise of Skywalker is, and there were loads of problems with The Rise of Skywalker is that the Princess Leia legacy... And I don't know, actually, maybe it's not a problem, because what the way that they deal with it is because you can tell that there would probably have been a very different story for Leia had Carrie Fisher not passed away. Yeah, this is what I think is difficult for like, us to talk about. Because you, they would, I'm sure they would have done other things with her and they would have made it a bit stronger, but they had to work with what they had, which is totally understandable. Yeah. But what they did is they meant that she sacrificed herself for her son, yeah, which in and of itself, not a bad legacy to have, I don't think. Mm, and but also
0: her and uh, Kylo Ren don't share any scenes together, which no. I think is um, like a bit of a shame because I think that her as a mother. In the films, is really underexplored. The relationship is much more father and son, isn't it? The relationship between Han Solo and Kylo Ren is much more central to Kylo Ren's emotional development or the conflict that he's feeling rather. Like Princess Leia is kind of slightly absent. I feel like the only real moment that you see between the two of them is in The Last Jedi, where he's about to shoot and she's looking out of the window of the ship and they kind of have this moment where they both can kind of see each other and he knows what he's doing by pressing a button and then he see, you see him removing mm. his thumb and he doesn't do it.
1: Well, I think I found the most annoying about the end of Rise of Skywalker is that she does make this ultimate sacrifice for her son. She dies, doesn't yeah. she?
0: chooses to die. She
1: chooses to die to kind of revive him. And then he then dies <laughs> five minutes later. It's like, well, what on earth was the point of that? Like, you sacrificed one of the like most iconic female characters of anything ever, of like all pop culture to save a man who literally dies five minutes later. Yeah. It's so I just thought that actually did her quite a disservice in a way, and it annoyed me because it's not, I think, the correct ending for Princess Leia. I don't I found the whole the Ben Solo Kylo Ren thing a bit hard to swallow at points as well, because he's, you know, a space Nazi. But it's if they were going to go into some sort of a redemption arc, it would have been better to allow him to live to live out that redemption arc, that would have been a better legacy for Princess Leia to sort of see her son go through this, like, go to the dark side and come back. I don't know how I feel about the whole... I mean, I didn't enjoy the last Star
0: Wars film, and I I kind of had had a theory that the reason why we hadn't seen anything of Kylo Ren and Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, on screen together was because it was all being saved up for the last film, and that would be the redemption for him. Would be for it to come from her and I don't know I find it really hard to talk about because we don't know what could have been and mm. I think they did the best with what they had and obviously it isn't perfect because they can't it's difficult to say they did her a disservice because she's not there like it, it's so thorny to kind of what could they have done really yeah. apart from kind of her have her die off screen which I think a lot of people would have been really disappointed with I actually think the moment that I um, felt really I didn't feel emotional about her watching The Rise of Skywalker I think because uh, I think a lot of times Time has passed since she died and it's difficult. But then I actually thought the moment where I get the most emotional is in Rogue One where she turns around at the end and it's her recreated with CGI as young Princess Leia. I think that's the moment where that's more of a legacy for her to have is this princess in her prime. And in the way that we we see her as an iconic figure, it is that image of when she's young and when she's in the, the original three Star Wars films. When she turns around at that moment, I think I... I remember getting really emotional and I think Rogue One was released around the time that she died as well. It was around at the same time. So I actually think that is more of a fitting legacy for the character is to know that she's
1: out there kicking ass and doing great things off screen. I think that's interesting though because Carrie Fisher talks a lot in Wishful Drinking Shockaholic about having to marry up the fact that she's aged. She's no longer Mm. the 19 year old in the bikini and, you yeah. know, she talks a lot about how she'd put on weight and mm. primarily because of the drugs that she was taking for her bipolar disorder and just all this stuff, like having to marry up forever being 19-year-old Princess Leia, but also time moves on and you can't yeah. forever be 19-year-old Princess Leia because, you know, you age and you don't look like that anymore and you aren't that person anymore. Yeah,
0: and I feel uncomfortable. I don't know how I feel about it by, by wanting image in my head of her to be always young and always that character. I felt I, I had a really strange reaction to it when she first comes on screen in Force Awakens. Yeah. I had a really strange reaction because I was kind of like, in the character where she is Princess Leia in the new films, I can't see. I can see Carrie Fisher, I can't see Princess Leia, and I have, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my own inability to see how that character is aged. I see Carrie Fisher, I don't see Princess Leia, and I, I, I found that a complicated emotion to have while watching the films and when we're talking about it because I almost have now developed divorced the two because I think of Carrie Fisher in the way that we're talking about as the writer or as obviously she's, Prince, she's Princess Leia but I don't think of her in the way that we're talking about her as a heroine I, I don't know the two are quite set for me the character is the heroine and Carrie Fisher is separate from that almost and I wonder if that's because the character has been blown up so much to become you know you said earlier that she's one of the most iconic female characters I think she is the iconic female character in film and that is too big for one person to inhabit
1: thank you for listening to this episode of Man. You can follow us on Instagram, and Twitter at, mm-hmm. at Mary Mickford and you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you get the
0: podcasts. Please leave us a review. We love knowing what you think of the show, and like we share it at the end of every single podcast that you ever listen to. Apparently, when you leave a review, that helps people find us.